Yes, it's on sub time, and yes, we have Burton C. Bell. And no, we are not really talking Fear Factory with him. So if you're tuning in for any masala, well, look away already. We are talking to Burton C. Bell about Ascension of the Watchers. That's now his primary music project. Their album Apocrypha released earlier this month, and yes, it's not super heavy, but it's such an hypnotic album to lose yourself in. Get this, the first single, Coast Heart. Well, I caught myself humming it after a week of having heard it in the first place. Peter, what was your experience like with the album? So yeah, I quite enjoyed uh, the album because I do enjoy like you know post metal or you know shoegazy metal, and uh, even though you know the album's been tagged as industrial. Uh, I didn't find it too different from uh, you know music that Yesu or Justin Broderick has been releasing uh, under that uh, tag for the last few years. Mm, absolutely true. Well, let's not waste any more time. Here he is, Burton C. Bell. Let's fucking go. Hi, Burton. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. How are you? We're, We're doing okay. not too not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, congratulations on the third album, uh, Apocrypha. It has been in the works for quite some time. How does it feel to have it finally released? Oh, it's 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 a great feeling. Uh, as you know, it's been in the works for quite some time now, and uh, to finally release it, to 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 finally release it in the uh, the way I wanted to, where. Uh, it sounds great. The concept is great, and uh, you know we have a label to distribute it. It just fit all you know the cri- It just fit all the criteria, so I'm very happy. All right. So you know, before we get into the album, let's talk about ascension of the watches first. I mean, you know, I've read in various places you've described the project as you know soul without the machine, and you know. As a project, you were able to express your artistic nature through music and words. So, just take us right to the very beginning, if you may. Uh, why did Ascensions of the Watchers need to exist? I mean, when did you realize this? Well, it wasn't, you know, to go back in time, about 2001, uh, I decided to take a sabbatical from Los Angeles. And uh, I... I felt there was I, there was a need in my there was a need in my heart and my soul that I I felt I had to release. Um, I had music that you know it, I had music in my heart that was not being heard, uh, and uh, there was not really an outlet for it. So I followed my passions. So I, you know when I drove to John's to John Bechtel's home uh, across country to his play, studio and. Uh, central Pennsylvania, uh, working with John, who you know has been a very, very near and dear friend of mine for many years. Uh, he understood the process of the, he understood what I wanted to achieve, and he was patient, and uh, patient enough to work with me and to help me work out the sounds that I had in my head, and to work out exactly you know what I wanted to achieve. Um, it, the the need for it. Uh, it was a need because it, I had to release it from my soul. And if you're an artist, you know what that feels like. Uh, hold, you know, holding something in—it's like a pent-up aggression. It's like a pent-up—you know—it's—it's it's just an anxiety that it, if you don't release it, uh, you, you, it just makes you aggravated. It affects your personality. It affects your temperament. Uh, 
and I felt that I, I, the need was for my sanity, really. I had to release it to, to really expose my artistic side that I felt that people weren't seeing. Uh, a part of me that had been there ever since the beginning of Fear Factory, even before that. You know, I, I, come, I come from an artistic world before Fear Factory, before I moved to Los Angeles. So there was this need inside of me that had to come out. And uh, so go back to the, you know, working with John and that's, you know, creating the songs. I, ha I had the ideas and I had them down. I, he just helped me articulate them and uh, helped me record them. And uh, as the songs were being built, uh, there was a, a, there was this, uh, uh, this concept, this feeling coming across, and uh, it's kind of weird. It was like kismet; everything was coming together, pretty much all at the same time. You know, I was somewhat sequestered in the uh, the Pennsylvania wilds, as they say, uh, in the middle of the forest in John's studio. Um, you know, not really that didn't have cell service. Uh, you know, pretty much, um, like I said, sequestered, almost like a, a monk in a monastery. I was kind of, you know, in a, a, it was almost a cloister to myself. And I was doing a lot of reading uh, of this, of a, not a spiritual nature, but of a, of a more of an educational nature. Um, and there was this one book I was reading by Elaine Pagels called The Origin of Satan, which is a, uh, a, a educational look and history of the, the term Satan in religion and how, where it all comes from. So almost like, you know, the, the origins of it, so to speak. Um, and it, there was a, there was a piece, there was a brief part in this book about the book of Enoch from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the describing the watchers. And just that little part made me more interested. I was like, wow, these watchers, I've never heard about this, but I've heard of the Nephilim, which spawned from the watchers. And so I was like, oh, this is, the Watchers are before the Nephilim. So I re did research online, went to the library and found uh, a translated text of, of the Book of Enoch. And I read, so I read the Book of Enoch and inside I learned more about the Watchers and their, the story of them. And uh, to me, I, you know, when you relate to something, you really can't understand, uh, explain it. And I related to the, the the story of the watchers so much that uh i that that became my passion and so the music and the concept and the story of the watchers is all combined together and uh so the need and the research and the uh, the just the exploration of ideas just all came together and that's how the uh, essentially the watchers was born Awesome. Th thanks for kind of taking us back to that time. Uh, but, you know, just to kind of move all the way back to present time, really, right? I mean, you've been working on Apocrypha for approximately 10 years now. And, you know, we know it almost released last year as Stormcrow. So what forced that change? Uh, was it the addition of uh, J.C. Lewis to the band? Uh, well, no, um, but Jace, you know, I have to say that Jace is, uh, is highly influential and highly inspirational uh, for the outcome of this album. Um, 
the title storm, you know, I had been working out for 10 years. Uh, I've been, I was writing music. Uh, I've been writing music since the last release, which was Numenoso in 2008. And I would write music because something would happen in my life, something poignant, some, uh, some uh, big event would occur that would influence me to write, you know, that would really affect my uh, emotions and affect my life in a way that I had to sit down and create. Um, creating was my therapy. So I would sit down at, during, at times and either at a, with my guitar or at a piano and just write chords and create uh, an arrangement. And so I had, and when I would recreate these, when the when arrangement was, uh, you know, when arrangement was somewhat uh, uh, conceived, I would remember it and I would go record it either with John or Edu, um, and eventually Jace. Um, but when I had when we had ten like when we had ten songs, um, that was the time we figured okay now it's time to do something with these. Uh, you know the whole time over the ten years I was actively searching for a label to release it um to support it to you know that would be interested in releasing a new album from essentially the watchers and over 10 years no one was interested um you know i'm not really sure why probably because the last record didn't sell uh, uh and we didn't have a lot, enough uh you know followers on facebook or whatever because that means a lot to people these days but um after when we had 10 songs demoed Chase and I were like, we got to put, we have to put this out. So we uh, decided that if we were able to record it properly and make it to, make it sound the way we wanted to sound, then we would have a better hand, a better opportunity to get it distributed. So the idea was to create, to go to the Pledge Music platform and uh, to raise funds so we can go and record the album. And uh, as part of the Pledge Music campaign, we had to come up with, you know, what's going to happen. We had to create a whole plan. And at that point in time, I believe that Stormcrow, being that Stormcrow was the first piece I wrote after Numinosum, I believe that Stormcrow would be the perfect title for it. Uh, it was, it was uh, a good statement. And it pretty much described uh, at that point in time, the the way the the describe the direction of the album, but you know, so um, you know, with the pledge music campaign was a very successful campaign. We raised one hundred twenty four percent of our goal. Um, we weren't we weren't asking for a lot of money, so that helped a lot. So um, raising that goal was amazing. So, so knowing that money was in the pipeline, uh, we decided to start making plans to record. And uh, obviously, uh, as we were recording, that's when the Pledge Music campaign, well, that's when Pledge Music platform failed and went bankrupt. Yeah. They, they failed everyone, not just the bands, but all the fans and the, all the pledgers that uh, provided funds for these bands. And uh, it was very, you know, it was a setback and it was very disappointing and heartbreaking. But we persevered. We decided to continue finishing the album and uh move forward and you know as we were finishing the album and as we were mixing it i, I realized that storm crow 
didn't really didn't really um, describe the album as I felt it should, and as you know, taking artistic taking the artistic lead and uh, um, you know artistic decision, um, I decided that perhaps changing the name would move it away from the Pledge Music campaign to make it and create its own entity. I also felt that the the one song Apocrypha, um, it's you know it's the title track, which it, which ended up being the title track, pretty much was a very good and a very um, accurate depiction of the entire album. It wasn't an upbeat, but it wasn't slow. It was just a, a mid tempo, but it was sounding great, and, and lyrically it it did sum up the entire album, which means Apocrypha. Uh, as you know, are uh, sacred texts that have been hidden away, uh, you know, not uh, accepted by uh, not accepted by uh, the church or any other religion or religions that um, purport these type of uh, stories. So, you know, whereas Stormcrow was Stormcrow to me was the harbinger, was the messenger that brought these songs to me. But it was apocrypha. The term apocrypha is the is the story in a whole. Like these stories were found, and they are being being told to the masses. Like they were found, just like the Book of Enoch was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, you know, in in, in back in you know 1945, these were unearthed for for the for the masses to view and listen to. So you know, I took the artistic decision and change the name to Apocrypha. I'm glad because I felt that I feel that it, it's uh, really describes everything uh, a lot better than Stormcrow does. Mm. It's it's great how uh, things just work out at the correct time, right? Like everything seems to have its own time. As it's fast. true. It is true. You know, it, and sometimes it, you know, uh, projects do evolve. And art does evolve, and music does evolve. And as an artist, you just can't be so resolute in something that you started. You have to bend a little bit, and you have to be able to see see it through, but also understand how your piece and how your art has evolved. And that in itself takes a lot of uh, patience and a lot, you know, and also a lot of self confidence to really change that, change the idea. It's like, well, you know. I felt this way a year ago. Now it's different. I'm going to change the title, and you know, I'm going to move away from the whole Stormcoat f- f- uh, fiasco that Pledge Music created, and out of out of that death is a rebirth. Mm. Uh, a lot of the music on this album it seems really simplistic at first listen, but uh, when you look beyond the surface of it, there's so much more to it, right? So two questions here. Because of all the time spent on this project, how many times have you revisited the songs and reworked them? And secondly, in the whole process, what would you say are some of the highlights for you as a songwriter and composer here? Well, the songs, honestly, the songs didn't really change that much from the original inception. Uh, You know, like I said, I would sit down and write the guitar parts or the piano parts, 
um, and record those parts, they did not change that much. They are simplistic, but you know, it's the layers that make the song. You know, it's not just the part, but it's the parts in a whole. Um, so through the years, it wasn't really changing it as more it was to adding layers that made sense. And there was a lot of thought that went into this. Um, everything that was recorded uh, for the songs didn't actually make the mix because during the mix, I felt that something started becoming a little too complicated uh, it was, uh, or unnecessary. And for me, as a musician, as, and my, I'm, I should say, as my own personal taste as a musician, I don't really, you know, the music I listen to is not very complicated. It's very simplistic. It's very open, uh, you know, ambient, but also clear and uh, to the point, I should say. So it's not overly, it's not technical. It's not overly progressive. Um, it's not overly produced, but I wanted it to sound great. And everything that was recorded, I wanted you to be able to hear without too much going on because too much going on creates for me uh chaos and i didn't want chaos i wanted um i just really wanted serenity to really come in and uh really create these pieces so yeah um as a whole they didn't really change that much um and jace understood what i wanted to achieve uh, you know, we, just like John and I have spoken in depth over about music over the years and what we wanted to achieve. Um, my friendship with Jace grew over the uh, over the past few years, and the more I spent time with Jace, uh, you know, we became very close and dear friends as well. And Jace understood exactly what I was looking for, uh, what I wanted to hear. Uh, and Jace, is a, as you know, is a highly talented uh, and up and coming young producer, mixer. He's a fantastic musician like John is uh, uh, in everything he can do. So having these two people uh, as part of the watchers is essential because for me, I look for uh, equal members in, in the art that I am trying to, to, uh, uh, get out of my mind to try and release and John and Jace understand it completely. So Chase was highly essential. John is essential uh, in the watchers and making this happen. Right. I'm glad you spoke about, you know, the sound, right? Because I was reading uh, in one of the earlier interviews that you've done, you mentioned that you wanted to record uh, the album at a modern analog studio. So how important was this, you know, for the sound on the album? Oh, it was absolutely important. Um, ever since the last record, well, for a long time, I've, as, well, first of all, I should just say, as a musician and a person who loves music in general, I believe analog and the, 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 the state of analog music from the past sounds so much better than digital. And it's true that analog um, can capture frequencies uh, above and below that digital cannot capture. So for me, that is an essential part of music 
if you're missing frequencies, you're not getting the entire picture. Um, so I wanted I, to find a studio that had analog capabilities has been a part of the search for 10 years. Um, and part of the, yeah, has been part of the search uh, for the 10 years to record. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, Chase, you know, Jason and I had been talking, but Jace, you know, it wasn't until that time that Jace had called me up and said he had finished his studio that I should come check it out uh, uh, in Wales that uh, I made that decision. Because when I went there, I saw that Jace had not only built this beautiful studio on the countryside of Wales, very pastoral, uh, almost uh, bucolic, that, uh, you know, I would go in and I would see analog uh, components going in to digital. And I had never seen that before. And to me, uh, I had to hear it. So when we demoed originally the demo of Ghost Heart and the demo of The End is Always the Beginning, the, the sound of that demo pre-mastered sounded better than anything I had recorded previously with Ascension of the Watchers in the entire history. And I was like, mm. yeah, I have, we have to record this album here. There's no other place that we can record this. And I stood by it. I, uh, you know, I told when I came back to Pennsylvania and told John, like, John, uh, you know, Chase's studio is, it's the, this is the place we got to record it. And, you know, I, when I played him the pieces, he's like, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm like, yep, that's <laughs> analog. That's a modern analog studio for you. And it just made a world of difference. Hmm. Okay. Uh, one, one tiny little thing about the production that I do want to talk about is this, um, almost ethereal, flangy texture and tone on your vocals. That's really almost like a characteristic of uh, of how your signature clean vocals have sounded right from like you know the uh, Fear Factory days as such. Uh, why do you choose to color your voice in that manner? Uh, well, um, that's that was Jason's decision. Um, Pretty much all it is is uh, a little bit of delay and a little bit of reverb to just like smooth it out. Um, yeah, barely... and you take it up to 11 on that one track. Uh... On Array? Yeah, On Array, oh. yeah. So, so that is an effect that he used to emulate a, uh, what is it called? It's kind of like, a, it's like an organ, but it's a, a melody. A mel it's like a Mellotron or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, something that was used, you know, frequently in the 70s, uh, sometimes in the 80s, but it hasn't been touched in a long time. And Chase was inspired by this one artist. Uh, oh, I can't remember the artist's name, but they used it. And he loved it. And as we were mixing the song, we were we were looking at other types of songs. We were looking at other types of, inspiration because uh, to really bring the song out because I wanted something very intimate sounding but almost um, almost like it was being sung in almost like a church like a church choir mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the melodrone the idea of the melodrone created that like multiple voices together yeah. to uh, yeah. create this as almost like you're listening to a various various different voices sing different octaves at the same time to create that fullness but that, that very odd sound 
And when Jay's put that on and played it to me for the first time, I was like, that's it. You know, it's just the voice and nothing else. Make it simple. And then when the rest of the song comes in, that's where uh, that's where it really, really just becomes really almost, you know, you're exemplifying the whole part. Funny part, you know, funny part about that is, is that um, the original title of that song was called the original title of that song was called it's called Misericord. Okay. Misericord is okay. two different things. Misericord is a, a dagger, but also Misericord is the the stoop that you pull down in church pews to kneel so oh, you can, that's so you can pray. And so to me, it all comes together. The Misericord sitting down praying. And the song is a prayer to to uh, for my youngest daughter. Honore is in honor of my youngest daughter. And, right. uh, and it surrounds the um, the it surrounds the whole scene of her birth and how, and how kind of chaotic it was. We'd like at this point to play a track uh, from Apocrypha. Uh, which one should we play and why? I think uh, I would like to. There's a song called "A Wolf Interlude" that is stuck in my well, it's stuck in my mind currently. Uh, every I, every day it's a different song, but a wolf interlude is uh, to me is the song that really uh, brings this whole the idea of the whole album together. It's a a, a big production. Um, it you know it's simple. It it, it conveys the concept of love, and it, co- it conveys the whole idea of the watchers and the whole meaning of it. Shine! 
so you know you're known as the voice of fear factory right was it easier or harder you know to start a band with a completely different sound and if you could also tell us you know the challenges or obstacles that you faced or was it just the weight of expectations i first of all i consider myself an artist and i will print i am confident in what i create um and so i i when it comes to like for instance creating a new band yes there was there was some anxiety and some apprehension but i go into it believing that i am doing what i want to do i am fortunate where i don't care uh what other people think it only matters what i think when it comes to my music and what i create because if i care what other people think then i'm compromise my own art so what i do is i go in and create what i want to create with the people i want to create it with by doing that not only am i staying to my artistic integrity uh, staying to my artistic integrity but i also am being original i'm not following any trend i'm not following any fashion i'm creating what i want to create because that's what i feel uh i need to do so um yeah you know as the voice of fear factory uh it is uh is essential watchers is quite different however this is the same personality and the same mind that has been creating the melodies for fear factory from the very beginning yep. the rhythms the tones the 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 lyrical content it's all the same mind so when it comes to the watchers this this is all of this is from the same mind but it's not um contaminated by others but it's not contaminated by other uh opinions it's not contaminated by uh other uh music styles coming in because when it comes to the watchers i am the primary songwriter and this is what i want to release so this mm. is you know this all this music it's from the mind of you know one of the co-founders of fear factory but yep. this is you know and it's no secret over the years that um you know i'm not a i've never been a big metal fan yes there is metal i do like you know motorhead yeah. for instance neurosis black sabbath but on a whole i'm not like a metal guy i come from another i uh, i grew up listening to the am radio and i grew up listening to uh, 70s music on the radio, 80s music on the radio, 90s music on the radio, uh, whatever was popular. Um, I like, you know, I come from uh, avant-garde type of music. I love avant-garde music. I love noise. I love uh, industrial. I love ambient. I love soundtracks. And so all of that comes into my personality. And when when it comes to the watchers, all of that style, uh, all of that comes into my writing style and when it comes to recording. Awesome. Awesome. Now, this is uh, switching the gears to you personally, right? I mean, you've been a musician for over 30 years, 10 plus albums you've released. You recently even put out a graphic novel. So yeah. what's next for you? I mean, there's so much and like you've described yourself as an artist earlier on, right? Is there an art form, a different kind of art form that you'd like to pursue, perhaps? Absolutely. Um, 
my first love was actually photography. And I have uh, a couple of projects that I've been working on for years, actually, that uh, I would like to release a couple of uh, uh, photo books. Um, I would love, I have a whole series of photographs that I would love to show in galleries. So that's something I've been working on. I have sold my own photographs on my own website before. I don't have anything up there now. But, uh, you know, photo photography, I'd like to move forward with that. I have uh, ideas for um, new stories. Um, I do have uh, a story written um, for the second, uh, for the, for the um, follow-up of the industrialist, but I also have been working on a story for the Watchers album Apocrypha. Um, oh wow! And, it, and so it's a kind of a story, but it's more of like text, um, like the Book of Enoch, where it's you know, uh, and where it reads like ancient text and describing a time period. Uh, I have other couple stories that I have in the works that I just kind of work on everything all at the same time so you know <laughs> i uh for me my art my future looks bright and my future uh is all about art and doing the art that i wanted to doing the art that comes from my soul so that's what's next on the agenda fantastic yeah, all right uh an eye out for that yeah i will be you know whenever they are completed i'll be uh definitely uh telling people about it online, you know, social media on my website. Okay, cool. Uh, leads, leads us to our last question. And this is something that uh, was a very interesting nugget that I came across while researching for this interview as such. Uh, I've read that you were part of the music video for Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. Is that true? <laughs> oh, I, yes, I was in the crowd. <laughs> oh, wow. was, what can you tell us about that experience and did it leave any long-standing impression on you well you know it's uh yeah you know i i think whenever i get asked about that question it's not something i think about every day of course but whenever i see something about nirvana it always sends me back because i was a you know back then before nevermind came out i was a big fan of nirvana already i loved the bleach album I loved all their singles from Sub Pop. I'd seen them a couple times live in very, very small clubs. Um, you know, there's a single for Nirvana called Dive. And uh, on the back of that single, mm -hmm. you know, singles now, back back in the 90s when, you know, 45s was a single. Yeah. The, the live picture on the back of that single, I am standing in front of that stage. Oh my God! <laughs> I could I could point myself at that's me, um, so that was exciting. But um, the last one of the last, before the video was shot, Nirvana had done a show at the Roxy, and they were just throwing out leaflets, come to you know that said come to our video, and so uh, my roommates and I, uh, the, the three of us, said fuck it, let's go down, and uh, it was down in Culver City. We were living in Hollywood, so we drove down to Culver City. And everyone that showed up was in the video. There was no extras. Uh, it was just uh, it was just those people that showed up, and uh, we were there for a few hours, just going through take and take and take. And uh, you know, there's a couple times you can see myself briefly, but uh, you know, I am in the video. And uh, to know, you know, for me, 
I don't, I don't know if it's an impression, but I feel I am a part of history. I feel that I was I was on the I was at the, I was at a a point of an explosion that was about to to burst. Yeah, and I was there before it all happened. So I feel <laughs> to me, I was ahead of the curve, and um, you know, to me, I just feel honored. You know, to, you know, I've always I, I've been waiting for the day to, you know, the last time I spoke to Dave Grohl was at that video shoot. And I just oh, look wow. forward to the day that it's like, well, our paths cross again and say, hey, last time I saw you, I was in the video. <laughs> and uh, actually, another good friend of mine was in that video. And he's the last time the Watchers played live, he played bass. So whenever whenever Tony and I get together, we uh, we talk about that time. And it was just hysterical. And uh, it was, it was uh, man, that was a, definitely an ex- experience that I'll never forget. And one I'm glad to be a part of. Yeah. Excellent. Th- th- thanks so much for sharing that with us. I mean, yeah, my pleasure. It's, you know, it's a wonderful memory. I, you know, thinking about it, you know, I could say more, but it's just, you know, <laughs> I, you know I could spend an hour just telling you about the day. Yeah. <laughs> Building on that story a little bit, um, I want to talk about fan engagement because obviously, what what you managed to do with Nirvana was you you did it because you were a fan, right? Absolutely. Um, I see you have a cameo account, right? And what do you make of how easy technology seems to have made life today? You know, be it lighter things like talking to the world or engaging fans, or you know, the heavier stuff like well, you know, creating heavy stuff. Even though, uh, with this record, you're a huge proponent of recording analog, digital, right, or modern analog. Mm-hmm. Um, what really and and this is something that's that's stemming a lot from what the world is dealing with as such. What do you think is the give and take of the rise of technology as such overall? Well, my first answer is that technology has taken the mystery away from music. Um, ever, you know, before before the internet, the music, mostly the musicians behind it were a mysterious entity uh, that, yep. that 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 made them that made people search them out the only time you ever heard about the musicians was you had to you had to search them out in print uh, you had to find magazines or you would just have to go to shows a lot of shows to learn more about them and even going to a show they were still a mystery because did you want to go and talk to them did you want to you know did you did you make the you know, could you go up and wow? You know, can I go talk to this person? They were all there. They were so mysterious that they're almost. Um, it was almost scary to go up to them. You didn't know what to do because you didn't know what their personality was like. And if yeah. you only if you did know them through the print, you still didn't know about them. So to me, the mystery has been taken away by technology. Um, for me, um, knowing that. Uh, I don't give, you know, I don't talk online very much at all. I, uh, if I release things on uh, social media, it's like art or, or, or something I'm, you know, following, but I don't make public statements. I don't share my life. I don't, I keep myself private. Um, when it comes to the cameo, uh, you know, those are fun. You know, it's, 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 uh, you know, a source of, 
uh, extra income, which is great. And it's a great way to uh, engage with fans that really want to, you know, hear you say something and say hello. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I, when I do a cameo, I, I, I make it very personal. Every one of them is completely different. I be myself without giving, without giving myself away. So I still feel like I'm a private person and uh, I still maintain a mystery. And I think that's important. I want to bring back mystery to music. Hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. The mystique of yeah. the music world and any sort of performing, performing art as such has yep. just been lost. Yeah. Anyways. Absolutely. It has been lost and it's sad, but it's still possible. You just have to really be smart about what you put out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. On that note, Burton, thank you so much for sparing some time out and yeah. chatting with us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you pleasure. so much. Thank you, thank you for uh, calling me. Um, you know, uh, Bombay, you know, not Bombay anymore. What, what's it called now? Mumbai. Mumbai, yeah. Mumbai yes. The time, I, we spent about a week in Mumbai yeah. a few years ago, and that was... W were you at the show, Animesh? No, I wasn't. Okay, yeah. I, I, it was kind of crazy watching you guys uh, on stage. And uh, actually, a friend of ours, uh, Sahil Pakija, you were at his place. You did the interview with him where he cooked for you. Oh, yeah. He made a delicious dish. I was watching that interview uh, before this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a great experience in India. Um, the people, everyone was just lovely. The city in itself was just amazing. Uh, I had, you know, I walked around by myself and took pictures and just kind of explored the area and uh, just ate amazing food. I was careful, but I ate amazing food. <laughs> and uh, man, never had a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, your friend who made us that dish was, God, was it biryani or something like that? Yeah, so, mutton biryani, yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. Hopefully one time, hopefully, you know, Jace apparently has done very well down in India and uh, hopefully yeah. with Jace on board, he, we can mm -hmm. get back to India and play some watchers, you know, play essential watcher shows. Yeah, I mean, that actually, that was one of the things I was uh, talking, uh, my message uh, animate, right, is that what, one of the things about the album is you don't want to wa watch the band perform at like a bar or something like that, right? It has to be something completely different where you kind of get immersed in the music uh, in there. It's not something where you're sipping on your drinks or eating your food and watching the band. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of experience it is. And that's, and that's what I've always imagined for the watchers. Not, I, did, I don't want to do, of course, I'm sure we'll have to play clubs, but for me to make it more of an event than a concert, uh, you know, the venue of where we play makes a huge difference in what people feel. Hopefully we get to watch that at yeah. some point in time. Well, I, I do too as well. And <laughs> we'll make that happen. Awesome. Happy. Awesome. awesome. All right. Thanks Once so again, much. thank you so much for this. It's been yeah, an absolute welcome. pleasure. All right. Have a, a great day. With you and thank you very much. Bye. Man, that Nirvana story was fucking dope, wasn't it?
yeah i think you know uh, that gave me an idea of like probably just doing a segment about just you know people who've been there back in that scene uh, especially that nirvana story i mean it blew my mind he was actually transformed or taken back to that moment i actually felt like that mm, absolutely now two tidbits from that interview that i really want to discuss the first it's super clear that burton's moved on as such from fear factory isn't it yeah it, you know it's kind of strange because it's been a month since we spoke to him but you know it was kind of clear that we didn't need to talk about fear factory to him and you know a week or so later he drops a bomb of sorts saying that you know he's leaving fear factory as the vocalist so yeah clearly he had, he was already in that mind space when we were talking to him Hmm. You know, but here's the weird thing. He mentioned that he's got a story written out, and that's the sequel to the Industrialist. And yes, although the reality of what's happening with Fear Factory is what it is at the moment, I think metal fans around the world largely want Dino and Burton to, you know, take inspiration from Smash Mouth and sing, "Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends?" <laughs> Oh, hey man if guns and roses the original lineup could get back together i think there's definitely hope for fear factory getting back together at least with dino and uh, burton yeah let's hope both of them are listening to this oh well <laughs> we can dream full power to ascension of the watchers till then and of course to fear factory too that's it on the podcast for now talk to us we are at honsuppod.com you can also reach out to us on twitter we are at honsuppod as always i am at asmohani and i am at trend crusher and this is honsupp honsupp guys